Today on the Travel Guys. In the travel news, American Airlines owes travelers over $7 million in bag fees. And Carnival gets tough on those deck chair hoggers. Details next in the news. In our Smarter Traveler segment at 320, we tell you the best and worst airports in the country for delays heading into the holidays. Several Northern California airports are getting a mention. If you're a fan of our national parks, we'll introduce you to a beautiful new National Geographic book and give you a chance to win a copy at 335. We'll close at 350 with the best travel dog story ever. Come with us to Seattle and meet Eclipse. If you love dogs, it's a story that will grab your heart. In the meantime, we'll grab your travel heart and make you just a little smarter. Welcome to the Travel Guys. On the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again Directly from the Travel Guy Studios, it's Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Thanks for coming along, my friends. By the way, uh, my condolences to the Sacramento Kings for not winning, and congratulations to Sacramento State for winning their seventh game in a row, the first time in the school's history. One of these days, that team will be in that that particular uh, program will be so huge maybe they'll build one of those great big football stadiums like they did for the fresno bulldogs some years ago started off as not much and now it's what a program mania strikes sac state whoever thought that they would live long enough to see that happen so congratulations (laughs) well i mean seriously you know if you for to all the sac state grads over the years who have you know, when you were, you told me earlier that they had won their seventh in a row, and my comment was there have been decades when the Sacramento State football program didn't win seven <laughs> games, it seems like. So, I mean, not, not to give them a bad time, but just to, to congratulations to all those who have waited so long um, for them to be successful. So that's the way to go, those guys. All right. Mark, uh, speaking of successful and uh, and all, uh, you just uh, had a nice trip to Santa Barbara with a group of sports leisure vacationers. Uh, how did it go? What was I it spent, like? Yeah, spent almost the whole week down in Santa Barbara. What a beautiful town. It's it's not really – It's Santa Barbara is really designed for independent travelers. It's not really designed for a group of 25 people to be motoring around. And for that reason, it's been a difficult nut to crack – over the years in terms of it's just not a place for large vehicles and groups of people. But we we worked at it really hard, and we got some really great support from some of the folks in town, and we had a a wonderful time. We also had spectacular weather. But um, we found a a great hotel to stay at, the Harbor View, which is right down with a view of the harbor, henceforth the name Harbor View. The name alone is uh, pretty exciting. Uh, Well, and we actually got – some rooms at the Harbor View, which didn't have any view of the harbor. Um, they have a brand new wing, which kind of sits in the back part of the hotel, which is 
like gorgeous rooms. I mean, just beautiful accommodations. And the amazing thing is it doesn't have a view of the harbor, but it's a block closer to everything else that you'd want to be close to. The, the hotel doesn't have a restaurant per se, but they have this wonderful breakfast nook called Janine's, which is right next to the hotel where you can – it's a local place, you know, and they just – it's where all the local people go. So sometimes it can be kind of crowded, but what great breakfast they had. And we just – we had a great time. Some We dined at the Blue Water Grill in town. If you ever go to Santa Barbara, the Blue Water Grill, it's down, again, facing the harbor. Uh, wonderful food. Yeah, wonderful food and really nice people. Um, we visited the Mission. We visited the museum. Santa Barbara – you wouldn't expect this, a city of, of 70,000 people, has a museum of natural history. It's not a huge museum, but it tells the natural history of Santa Barbara, and it's really quite impressive. Uh, it's really worth a visit. I'm not a huge museum guy, but it was really worth a visit. We had some fun. We did a thing called the Land Shark, which is where you go in the water for a while and on a vehicle, and then the vehicle's on land. And oh, yeah. Beca- okay. Because Santa Barbara is a city that isn't really an ocean. For, it sits on a bay, mm-hmm. and it sits a little bit back from the edge of the bay, most of the hotels and restaurants and the like. So the best way to see it really is from the water, to see the waterfront, and the best way to see it from the water is on this particular amphibious vehicle, the, the Land Shark. We had really a lot of fun. It was just a great trip. I am going to do other trips to Santa Barbara, and we are going to go back there. And I, I really want to thank the, the Santa Barbara tourism people and the folks at the Harborview Hotel and uh, at Moby Dick's Restaurant and at Janine's and all the places that people were just super nice to us in town um, because they were so nice. We're going to come back. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. All and right. If you're, if you're looking for a great place to visit, um, Santa Barbara now has nonstop flights from Sacramento. The times are not yeah. – we had to fly in and out of, out of Burbank ultimately because the times where the Santa Barbara flights weren't perfect. But uh, you can take a look at that. The flights are inexpensive to Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara itself is not inexpensive. And now I'll shut up because we have a radio show to do here in my Santa Barbara commercial. <laughs> should have been over a long time ago. They really should pay us for this. There you go. Well, you you cut you cut into your travel news a, a little bit. Don't don't skip the uh, don't skip the the uh, story about the deck chair hoggers. Okay. Anyway, at the top of every travel guy show, somewhere along the line, we bring you up to date on what's going on in the travel news. With the travel news, here's Mark. Yeah, more to babble about here. American Airlines. This is this is pretty neat. Um, the airline agreed to a settlement in a class, class action suit. They have to pay travelers at least $7.5 million over bogus bag fees. Um, they forced travelers – I won't go into the details here. Uh, frequent travelers would understand this. But they basically forced travelers to pay for bag fees in situations where they weren't supposed to. And uh, this has been back a few years ago, tickets that were bought no later than April of 2020. But if you were an American Airlines frequent flyer – then uh, pay attention here because they may owe you a few bucks, and if they do, go get them. Uh, but good for good for folks for keeping track of and making them uh, making American Airlines pony up. Alaskan Airlines pilots, we told you had been fighting for a new contract. They got it. Um, so congr- so that means that there will be no service disruptions at Alaska Airlines. Um, Hilton is doing something kind of interesting. Our friends at One Mile at a Time. Uh, report. If you're a, 
a status person, you're high up in a hotel chain or an airline uh, in terms of their reward, their loyalty program, then oftentimes one of the rewards is when there are leftover good rooms or leftover first-class seats, those are given to the people who have shown the most loyalty to the airline. Um, Hilton now is apparently doing something where they're trying to upsell even their best loyalty customers at check-in and tell them, well, you know, for $25, you could have this better room. To which some of the Hilton people, are, loyalty people are saying, well, gee, if you're willing to sell it to me for $25, isn't that part of what I've earned as mm-hmm. a loyalty customer that I would get this for free? So Hilton is saying, well, yeah, maybe kind of, but not so much. So we'll see how that shakes out. You know, um, I'm not a Hilton loyalty uh, person, but uh, and as a result, uh, the the emails I get from Hilton has to do with them wanting to sell me uh, beds and pillows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what? If you can't if you can't stay here, uh-huh. we, we'll sell you one of our beds. They're really good. Full di- disclosure from this travel guy: I sleep every night on a Marriott bed. Oh yeah. <laughs> There we go. Because, because for you know, I'm I, sleeping is not something that comes easy to me. And was that was that a perk from a bad trip? Uh, no, I just decided that the same thing. They sent me a thing and said, you know, you want to buy a bed, and <laughs> it was kind of like, Psst, hey, buddy, over here, come over here. We got a special one, Marriott beds. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, no, well, I paid pretty- them five or six or seven hundred dollars for one a few years ago. Uh, that's about a third the cost of most beds, yeah. and it's a good one. All right, enough with that. Uh, remember the, a few weeks back ago. Back to the travel news. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about putting one of those smart tracker, those Apple AirTags in your bag, and I told you that yeah. I had put one in my bag. Yeah, It works lovely. Um, as, as I was checking in at the Burbank Airport the other day, they were hauling my bag away. My phone immediately beeped and told me, your suitcase is leaving your control. So it, it ah, definitely, It's on the run. It does work. Uh, Travelers United reports in a survey that they did that uh, they asked, would you consider putting a smart tracker, Apple AirTag, a tile, et cetera, in your luggage? Uh, 61% said definitely. 18% said they already have. So one out of five bags already has a tag in it. Three out of five say they would do it. Um, 12% say they always carry it on. And 9% say they're only going to tr- – no, they would trust the airline. So, obviously, these uh, these air tags. did you not ask me about one last – just this I, last week? I did because I was thinking of a, a different person per- – different purpose rather than putting it in my luggage on a flight. Uh, my daughter is moving back to California from San Antonio. Yay, my granddaughter is going to be in town. We'll uh-huh. put her on the radio. Uh, anyway, uh, and I thought, well, this would be a great way for them to maybe track where the truck is with all their stuff. Uh-huh. Or when the, they pick up their cars and they're going to transport them back to California, right. you'll know whether the, the guy stopped in Vegas or whether he's still here. And my question was, is do these, do these tracker devices uh, work like any GPS where you could track stuff that far away or is it only good to see whether your luggage actually made it on on the plane that 400 feet or whatever hmm that's very interesting i my my tendency is to say yes that it does but um i'll tell you for sure the next time that i travel next week um, yeah i mean if your if your luggage did, you know got off the plane and 
ended up in uh, in L.A. and you were going to New Orleans, would yeah. you would it tell you that uh, where it went? Well, or if you stopped in Denver or Chicago and you changed planes and your luggage, right. you know, you went one way in the airport and your luggage went another way, your luggage could be a couple miles away from you and still be in the airport. So that would be and, and the other thing is, of course, the, the purpose of all this is at some point in time, you want to be able to say, uh, hey, Apple device, where is my luggage? It hasn't right. come up on the carousel here. So where is it? So is it in Timbuktu or Poughkeepsie or whatever? Yes, very, very interesting. We will we will firsthand have that information for you. Okay, a few more news items here. Um, of course, the Trump hotels charge the Secret Service as much as $1,100 for, uh, for their agents to stay in the Trump properties. Um, why would that not surprise anybody? Amtrak says it probably won't be able to restore service to, to San Diego's Santa Fe Depot before the end of the year. Um, service to and from San Diego was suspended on September 30th after movement on an unstable section of track bed was noticed just north of the city. The only reason that's a big deal is that the Amtrak station in San Diego serves about 3 million passengers a year on the Pacific Surfliner trains. So if that's shut down for three months, that's about three-quarters of a million people who will not be able to get in and out of that depot uh let's see here uh hawaiian airline it's an amazon have entered into a partnership amazon is going to do freight for hawaiian on airbus uh 330 airplanes and they have an option to buy 15 percent of the airline which is kind Mm. of interesting doesn't have anything to do with passenger service yet but remember amazon owns whole foods so just because they are a computer company doesn't mean they can't own a grocery chain or an airline chain, or heaven forbid, um, they'll pack you up in bubble wrap and zap your butt to Hawaii. <laughs> All right, and our final news story here, Carnival Cruise Lines moves to prevent reserving lounge chairs. If you have ever been on a cruise ship, Tom, you know that um, lounge chairs on the deck are a huge commodity. Same thing I would in, imagine. Same thing in big hotels. Yes. So you know these people. You've seen these people. They're the ones who set their alarm in the cabin to get up at the crack of dawn, head to the main deck near the pool on their cruise ship, and start throwing towels and other items on lounge chairs to reserve precious spots for later in the day. So now Carnival Cruise Lines is cracking down on the long-time but often argument-inducing practice. Our Carnival says there are more arguments over deck chairs than any other single issue on the ship. Wow. Um, I'm I'm not surprised. They are cracking down on the practice by some passengers known as deck chair hogs. According (laughs) to a story published by Cruise Radio, while Carnival hasn't necessarily revised policy, it did make an addendum to its frequently asked questions section on its website regarding regarding the saving of deck chairs. And so it says... Um, shipboard team members monitor sun lounge usage, and if they observe a seat that contains a towel or personal belongings but appears to be unoccupied, a notification is placed on the chair indicating the current time. So if at, you know, 8.30 in the morning the guy saw that you had reserved a chair but there was nobody in it, he puts a sign on it that says it's 8.30. If the chair remains unoccupied for 40 minutes, the contents are removed and held for the guest's safekeeping. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a new policy, 
But what they're basically saying is that if we see that you're not using the chair and 40 minutes later you're still not using it, we're going to pick up all your stuff, put it away, and make that chair available to somebody else. Oh, my goodness, there are going to be some really interesting situations. Can't you imagine the first time somebody comes back to a chair and their, and their stuff, stuff is, is gone? gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's... That, that's why I recommend that you get a life a, li- a lifelike uh, blow-up of uh, a human. Uh, you put it on the deck chair. You put a little towel over the head, the face, so that you can't see and you And there you go. Like 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 you used to do, Mark, when you had wanted to drive in the carpool lane. Uh and you were by yourself, kind of. You know, Carnival, um, I, I put a thing into their uh, contract now that says that they can fine you if you're if you don't behave yourself on board, and uh, so and they also put in a curfew for minor passengers unless accompanied by an adult. So perhaps a Carnival is trying to make things a little bit more civilized. But this is, I'm telling you, this is the biggest issue on any cruise ship. Fascinating. And yeah. I would be, I I would give a small sum of money. To be in that little, to, to see the fi- the footage from the camera um, the first time somebody shows up and their chair is gone. If we don't get out of here and in this news, we're never going to get to the next segment. That is your travel news for today. Okay, Mark, let's move it along here. Yes, sir. What's uh, What do you got for me? I have some information about the best and worst airports in the country for flight disruptions. This is the a, a, a team of travel experts at a company called Price for Limo which seems a little bit weird, but maybe it's you know it's a limo company. They pick people up at airports, so they want to know which airports are the most reliable. Apparently, they looked at, at Bureau of Transportation statistics from June 21 to June 22 to reveal um, which airports travelers can depend on the most. This is not – they're not talking about weather necessarily, but just which ones are the most and the least delayed. So most delayed in the country – is DFW in Dallas. It has uh, the most canceled flights, more than 10,000 in that 12-month period. Um, 3.5% of the airline, of, of all the planes that were due to fly out of that airport never flew out. And they had 57,000 delays. So that means your chances of getting canceled or delayed if you were going into DFW, about 1 in 5. So the worst in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, next worst... You probably could figure this out pretty easy. Chicago O'Hare, it's an it's a hub for both uh, United and American. Um, it suffers from bad weather at certain times of the year, so um, they came in as second worst. Third worst is an airport that used to be among the best all the time when it was just a hub for United Airlines, but now that it's a hub for United uh, Southwest and Spirit. I'm sorry, and Frontier Airlines. So they've got three airlines operating as hubs. Denver is the third worst airport, at least for this 12-month period, um, for delays and cancellations. Fourth worst, no surprise again, Atlanta Hartsfield, uh, biggest airport in the country. So the fact that they were way, way high on cancellations and delays. And then Orlando, which is a little bit of an exception to that list because Orlando is the only one that isn't a major hub airport for uh for big carriers but orlando has a tremendous number of flights uh, all, every one of the low fare carriers because of the disney aspect they're flying in and out so those are the airports that are the worst for delays no really surprises there um that re- none of those have really changed over the years the best airports the airports where you have the least number of cancellations and the least number of delays 
First on the list, this has been there for a long time, uh, Honolulu International Airport. Because they have great weather, um, they have very few delays, and very few cancellations, even with their inner island flights. So they've always been up at the top. And then comes Oakland, second. Never seen Oakland on a most reliable airport list before. Um, 754 flight cancellations for, for an entire year's time. That's two a day. So that's pretty impressive. Right behind Oakland, literally right behind Oakland in these stats, San Jose. And then, ladies and gentlemen, the fourth most reliable airport in the country is right here in Sacramento. According to this survey, um, fewer than 800 flight cancellations in 12 months, um, 11,000 delays, which seems like a lot, but that's that's less than 40 delays a day. And remember, a delay is anything more than 15 minutes. So they also go out of their way to point out that for Oakland, San Jose, and Sacramento, most of the delays are from inbound flights that were delayed, as opposed to, you know, the flight got here and there was some kind of an issue and that delayed it leaving. The flight was already late when it got here, which caused it to be late when it left. So Sacramento is really surprisingly to me, but when you think about it, the weather here is good. The weather, because the climate's warmed up, we don't have as many fog problems in the morning, and airlines can take off in foggier weather. So really and truly not surprising, right behind us is Portland. So um, if you're flying in and out of Sacramento, know that with some uh, some security that you're going to be able to get in and out on time. And I that's just really amazing. I had never, never thought about that before. Mark, uh, we have uh, on the line with us the senior editor, Allison Johnson, with National Geographic. We're going to have a fun interview. We're going to talk all about all the national parks and some, some really good stuff. Welcome to the show, Allison. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Allison, you've really put together, um, you know, National Geographic over the years, I, ever since I was a kid, National Geographic has been a brand that um, that has always been recognized as the place to go for information. And here we are in the information age when there's a lot of places to get information. I get this wonderful book in the mail with national parks, and it's so crammed full of information, I can't even imagine it. What an incredible publication that you have put together here. Congratulations. Thank you so much. You know, it was really a labor of love, and what what we wanted to do was highlight all 400 and plus sites throughout the national park system. And so it's really an encyclopedia to the national park system. And I say it's everyone's bucket list starter. So you'll find all 63 national parks in there, as well as historical parks and landmarks and monuments, state parks and national lake shores and seashores. So everything you will want to see in the great outdoors throughout the country, it's in this book. Allison, let me ask you, is there something in particular that draws you to the national parks? You know, I've always grown up, even when I was a child, my family, when we traveled, we always wanted to be outside and explore. So national parks were a big draw for us. And I think it's a really great way to travel and see the diversity of the country and all the national landmarks. And you really can explore both the history of the country and find great ways to stay active, whether it's hiking, taking an easy walk, kayaking, rafting. There's so much to do and see. And every state has a state park or a lake shore or a landmark that you can find. And I love that about the park system, that it creates opportunities right in your own backyard. Allison, how many have you been to and what's your favorite park and why? 
You know, in terms of national parks, there are 63 of them, and I've been to about 20 to 25, and I can't begin to count the 400-plus other sites. I'm still trying to get to them all. I don't know if I ever will because it's an ever-growing list of state parks. But one of my favorite is actually in Utah, which is home to five national parks, so it's a great place to begin a national parks road trip. But after you've seen the national parks, if you drive up to the border of Utah and Wyoming, there's a state national state park called Flaming Gorge, and it's one of my favorites. It's off the beaten path. It's lesser known, but you still get the beauty of the Utah parks. You get those red rock canyons, and there's also a riverway that you can explore and raft or kayak or fish from, and there's lots of good hiking trails, and it's been one of the biggest surprises that I've found and one of the reasons I love this book, because there are those off the beaten path parks that are really close to national parks themselves and can add a little extra to your trip when you're exploring a national park. Well, I want to ask you, when you were putting this together, I was looking through the book, and, and the great thing is that a lot of secondary and tertiary destinations, things that would be off the beaten track that you wouldn't normally find, have some wonderful information in this book. So since you haven't been to all the parks, I've been a tour operator for 40 years, and I've been to a lot of them, and I agree with you about Utah, um, but not all of them. But when you were putting this book together and you were and, and the research and stuff, was there some place that you found that you thought to yourself, wow? Wow, that really needs to go to the top of my of my get to list. You know, one of the places that really went to the top of my list as a, a whole region was the Great Lakes region, which I haven't explored a lot of. And Michigan in particular, it has Isle Royale there, and it also has Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lake Shore. And it just seems like a really beautiful area to be and a lot of different experiences, especially waterfront experiences that are different from what I'm familiar with living on the East Coast. You know, this isn't your ocean beach vacation. It's a lake shore. There's still sand dunes there, but you're going to kayak and canoe in the waterways, and you're going to go out to little islets and islands along the way, too. And Michigan as a whole, because of what they offer as national parks and state parks and recreation areas, it just seems like so much to do and see and explore. Our special guest, by the way, if you're just joining us, National Geographic Senior Editor Allison Johnson. Allison, uh, any tips for folks wanting to visit sites? Yeah, you know, my favorite tip to help people is visit in the off-season, especially these days, our park system it's getting crowded people are wanting to get out there and explore and if you're willing to tolerate some colder temperatures maybe some snow going in the winter is often a great way to avoid the crowds and have the parks more to yourself Um, and i also tell people to talk with park rangers you know we talk to park rangers in the making of this book so that we have all their best tips and tricks we know the history of the parks through the experts that are out in these parks every day but if you stop in the visitor's center and take a moment to talk to these park rangers, they can really customize your visit for you so that you get the most out of these parks the way you want to experience them. Whether that's a specific hike you're looking for, whether it's that you want to find the best spot to go bird watching, or maybe you want to take a scenic drive and just stop, stop off at overlooks, the park rangers will give you the best ways to experience the park. So don't be afraid to ask them questions. They are there to help visitors and they want you to get out and see these parks and enjoy them as much as possible because it helps them preserve these special places. Allison, thank you so much for your time today. If uh, For our listeners, if you go to TravelGuysRadio.com, we will have a link um, to Allison's book, and it's a beautiful hard copy edition. Um, I have been sent one, and next week we'll give it away on the air. So if you listen next week and you want a chance to win one of the, a copy of the book, you can have one, or you can get one. Go to 
TravelGuysRadio.com, and we'll have a link uh, for you there. Allison, thank you so much for your time today. Another National Geographic classic. I mean, this is just a beautiful book. Thank you. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Advice that I, I got out of that is ask a park ranger. Yeah. Uh, you know, as to where to go, what's the best things to see, kind of break break it all down by somebody who really, really knows. Mark, you've been to a lot of national parks with uh, Sports Leisure Vacations over the years. Of the ones that you've been to, what's at the top of your list? Well, I can't disagree with her that Utah has some spectacular places. Um, but there are – I'm a huge fan of the Pacific Northwest. I also like some of the little historical parks that are the national historical parks that aren't always – don't always draw as many visitors but sometimes have a lot of historical significance. This book um, particularly accents some of those lesser-known places. This is not a book that tells you what time it's open and how much it costs to camp. It's more about the – the, the park itself, about um, what things are there and about the history of the park and things of that sort. We have a copy of the book. I didn't know when we did that in- interview earlier this week that we would have the book in-house, but we do. So we're going to give it away today. So if you would like this beautiful hardcover uh, National Parks book, this is how you get it. You go to TravelGuysRadio.com. On the home page there, you'll see Contact Us. Click on that. You'll get a an opportunity to put your name and your email address and just put National Parks book in the uh, subject line. And from all the folks who fill one of those out this afternoon, we will announce a winner next week. So go to TravelGuysRadio.com, contact us. We just need your name and your email address and just put National Parks book and we will draw a winner and give and name that winner on the air next week. This is really a beautiful book. The one thing is you have to be willing to come and pick it up. It is quite heavy. It would be very expensive to mail. So you need to be willing to come and pick it up if you are the winner. Oh, there you go. And uh, it shouldn't be too tough. Uh, Mark's office is uh, right here in beautiful Rancho Cordova. Actually, I think you have a Sacramento address, even though it's uh, close to us here in Rancho. So... Uh, very, That's just the way the, the very the, the true travelguysradio.com contact us that you'd like the national parks book and good luck to you and one of our listeners will win that book we'll announce their name next week and uh, mark uh, have you how, how long have you known about eclipse <sighs> or did you only find out about this uh, just recently well um i just found out, out about eclipse recently here um about it's a traveling dog story in um uh, in in Seattle. Um, before we get to that, though, I got a couple of, of miscellaneous things here I need to kind of take care of. Um, one of our listeners, a uh, gentleman named Edwin, sent me a note. Uh, we were talking about travel, about uh, car rental agencies, and that they had caught up with their inventory of cars, that they had enough cars to rent, but that his comment was that um, rates are still historically high. And he was asking if we had talked a little bit. He got distracted 
and didn't hear the rest of the story and asked if we had if I had any more information on that or we had shared any more. And I w- just wanted to share with Edwin that, yes, the car rental companies say that their inventories of cars have caught up with demand. So they no longer are in situations where we had in the spring where literally you were showing up at an airport and they might not have a car for you or they might not have a car for you for a couple of hours, even though you had a reservation. The car rental rates have not come down dramatically because, A, the demand is still keeping up nicely with the supply, and also the fuel prices have remained up. And you'd say, well, gee, you know, we pay for the fuel prices, but um, those cars have to be moved around. And so when they're moved around and you're not renting one, why then the car rental company is paying for the fuel that's in them. So by by nature – um, high fuel prices are not good for car rental companies or for pricing on car rentals. So, um, yes, rates are remaining historically high. Also, labor rates and car rental companies are one of the people who right now are having the hardest problem with um, with labor shortages. Still, um, car rental companies are being plagued by um, not having enough people, basically, to move cars around. So um, that's why car rental prices are still staying high in some markets. In some markets where the prices are competitive, no, they're, they're not staying as high. So same thing with airfares. Some airfare markets that are competitive where you have two, three, four airlines flying the same routes, um, you're seeing the fares come down some. But in situations where only one or, in some cases, two carriers are flying routes, also something that a lot of people didn't know, I think, is that Southwest – eliminated a tremendous percentage of their service to Hawaii um, and also cut out a lot of planned service. So from Sacramento, there were going to be flights to the Big Island and flights to uh, to Kauai, and that's all off the boards now. You fly to Honolulu and catch a flight. They have spiced up the inner island flights, but uh, still uh, they have cut back on the number of inner of uh Honolulu flights because that's such a competitive market. So right now, I think with the car rental situation, um, you don't have to worry about getting a car, but you're still going to have to worry about maybe getting goosed a little bit when you rent one. Uh, One other thing here I wanted to mention is um, we're coming up on New Year's Eve. And of course, New Year's Eve in Times Square is always something that um, it's on television every year and people pay a lot of money to be able to be in Times Square. Here is uh, the ultimate VIP gala in Times Square. It's only 150 people. A company called Behind, Beyond Times Square um, has created a, a luxurious private affair in a climate-controlled environment. Um, it's uh, only for 150 people. It's from 8 until 1 o'clock. It's in a lounge in the Renaissance uh, New York Times Square Hotel. Uh, let's see what you get. Lavish. Hors d'oeuvres, hot and cold food stations, desserts, premium bar, specialty cocktails. Where is the price on this? Oh, it only starts at $1,999. Oh, that's a steal. Yeah. Does it provide you – know, it, it's, it's, I, I guess it's indoors, uh, and they must have a view of the, the clock and all of that rather than being out uh, huddled in the cold with the unwashed masses and no restrooms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yes. People always wonder, Tom, how that situation in Times Square, how the crowds are so well controlled. And I will tell you the secret to it. Um, I I, I already know. Yeah. 
de- depends. Yeah, once you get there, you cannot leave. And once right. you leave, you cannot come back. Come back, right. So uh, people can't bring, you know, the bottle out there with them because if you bring the bottle out at 6 o'clock, long before midnight, you're going to need the restroom facilities. And when you leave, you won't be able to get back into the block that you were originally in. So people who come mm-hmm. out there have to come out prepared to um, maintain themselves in their position until midnight. <laughs> um, so yeah, Good luck with that. Yeah, that's one way that they uh, that they control the crowd on or New Year's 1900 Eve. Or $1,900 plus dollars and, uh, you know, I, that that is not as much as I thought it might be. No, I mean, that's for only 150 people, but I, I think your question about exactly where is it in terms of, is it indoors, outdoors? Okay, it's at a lounge at the Renaissance in New York. You know what? I'm going to be in New York next week um, and only a couple blocks from this hotel. Sure. Check it out. Yeah, I think I'm going to check. We want photos. I'm going to check it out and report back next week. All right. Um, This is a story that I came across this week, and I thought to myself, gosh, is this a travel story? Well, it's about a dog who travels, um, not a great distance, but who kind of became adopted in Seattle. And uh, I'd like to, to read this story to you. I got it out of the Washington Post. Um, which has a paywall. We have posted it at TravelGuysRadio.com um, from other sources so that you can get it and uh, share it if you like. It's uh, The headline is, Bus Riding Dog Who Took Herself to Park Remembered as Seattle Icon. And the story goes like this. The most unusual passenger on Seattle public transit never rode the bus for long, just a few stops. She sometimes dozed during her short journeys, drooping her head onto the laps of strangers who never seemed to mind. Approaching her stop, she banged on the door in anticipation, and the other riders loved her for it. But Seattle's buses will no longer carry perhaps their most famous passenger, Eclipse, the black lab mix who achieved fame by riding to the park alone, died Friday. She was 10. Ellipse started getting attention in early 2015 when she slipped aboard her usual bus while her owner, Jeff Young, was finishing a cigarette, unaware she had proceeded without him, he said. Guided only by habit, she exited at the correct stop and was very much enjoying herself at the dog park when her owner, relieved from his panic, found her. After that, Eclipse became a regular commuter, taking two to three solo trips to the dog park each week looking out the window to make sure she didn't miss her stop. Stardom soon followed. A local radio host noticed her get off the bus without an owner, which led to an on-air segment, which in turn piqued the interest of Seattle station KOMO. National media, media coverage followed, and the Internet did the rest. Seattle's public transportation system, King County Metro, quickly celebrated its newly famous pod passenger, creating a highly produced music video for the song Bus Doggy Dog. It closed with a tagline, get around like Eclipse, plan your next trip. Her owner also leaved into his, into his pet's newfound fame, creating a public figure Facebook page for Eclipse Seattle's bus riding dog, where he shared, shared Eclipse updates with her followers, which on Monday numbered 122,000. But stripped of the hoopla, their relationship at the core was just that of a human and a dog, best friends, he said. Young got Eclipse when she was a 10-week-old puppy. He said they have spent all but three nights together in the nearly 11 years since. 
Then on Wednesday, Young announced on Eclipse's Facebook page that the vet had found cancerous tumors. He implored her fans to send spare vibes their way. Two days later, he had bad news. Ellipse had died overnight in her sleep. She's gone, and I miss her, and it really sucks, he said. King County Metro replied to King's announcement offering condolences. Eclipse was a super sweet, world-famous bus-riding dog and true Seattle icon, the agency wrote on Twitter. You brought joy and happiness to everyone and showed us that all good dogs belong on the bus. Well, how about that? That is so sweet. You know, I would imagine that there are uh, passengers that uh, rode with Eclipse that have shared her story with family members for for uh, for, for years and uh, will be missed. That that's uh, that's great. Thanks for uh, pulling that together for us, Mark. And isn't that cool? And, and a nice a nice read. Yeah, I mean, imagine that is, being that a passenger really cool. on a city bus and the dog just gets on and just gets off and. Does it all exactly you, the way it's supposed to? Did we post the uh, link that had the video as well? Um, gosh, I I believe so. I believe it's the original link. Okay. Um, yeah. If you go and to travelguysradio.com, had... you can find it there. Yeah, and the song that that you uh, that you referenced uh, is there, and uh, it's just pretty cool. Yeah, and it just yeah, yeah. goes to show you how smart dogs are. You know, I mean, who would have thunk <laughs> it that the dog could <laughs> could go I to the park? I would have been a. I would have been in a panic every time my dog got caught on the bus by her, herself to go to the dog park. I, that is, I just, just, you know, I would have been hustling down there to make sure that she she got off at the right stop. That is but then again, so cool. you know, you had the bus driver was probably heavily involved in making sure that Eclipse did. My guess, my guess. So, hey, next week um, yeah. we have a couple things. Gwen Duncan is going to stop by. And okay. she uh, is with us every couple months, gives us a little update on cruises. She'll, she'll give us, you know, a great bargain. She'll give us some feedback from cruisers and things like that. We're also um, going to have someone f- who did a book on Disney experiences who may be able to give us some ways to kind of enhance your next trip to America's most popular amusement park. Can't wait to uh, ask Gwen if uh, she falls into the category of uh, deck chair hogs. <laughs> She loves Ah, the cruise. We absolutely have to talk to her about that. All right, my friends. Thanks so much for joining us today. Don't forget TravelGuysRadio.com. Mark? And remember, dance like nobody's watching. All right, folks. See you next week right here on the Travel Guys.